Wow, that's kind of cool. And I don't know. And like wine knowledge and all that stuff. Yes, I did took my level one, two, and three. But I'm in the business too. So it's just uh, more so now I'm management. And, uh, but daily, I do have everyday different experiences, right? <laughs> yeah. Learn lots about the trend and lots about the, just the basic life. Yeah. So what trends have you seen since you've been doing it? Uh, what trend? And honestly, again, just uh, starting from open the Meadows Market location at the co-op. And that was the really new, and I was assistant manager. And lots of uh, demography has changed lots, which we just saw in the city. And we did lots of uh, hard alcohol, like wine, hard alcohol, and the specialty wines. And beers, definitely summertime. And when the trends changed, it's seltzers. Now everybody drinks seltzers. Everybody makes seltzers. Big companies like Coors Light, and Bud Light and Labatt and all that, everybody making uh, seltzers. And when that gets really popular, the local brewers, they start doing seltzers. What was and, it before? Uh, beer and iced teas like Mike's and American Vintage and all that. But now definitely is the seltzers and ready to, they're ready to uh, drink items, the most popular, I would say. People don't want to uh, anymore bring a cooler with the, with the ice and simple syrup and uh, whatever their favorite juices. They just wanted to ready to crack the can and put it in a glass and have fun. <laughs> the less steps possible less. to get a drink in my mouth. Totally, totally, <laughs> totally. And the people like we are in Saskatchewan, we love our camping. And then people don't want to bring extra stuff. They want to bring the case and they want to crack it and they want to be like the convenience, I would say. More so. Yeah, ready That's to go. Trend. Ready to go. But again, the hard alcohol, like a gin, vodka, and wine never go away. And people love wine, special occasions, or whatever that might be. And uh, now we have four locations. And seeing, working with other managers, you can totally see the difference demographic, j j the city-wise, which store sells the what more. Oh, and depending on the location. Depending on the location, makes a big difference. Huge difference. In the same city, though? In the same city. In the same city. And I, again, as I mentioned, the working in the South and by the new Costco. Yeah. It's not new anymore. <laughs> um, lots of wine and all that. But A Street location, lots of lots of wine. Lots of wine. And you can see, see the difference. But where, is the, where I am now on 33rd and the West Side, and we sell quite a bit beer. And then what's the one by South End Costco? That, that is mixed everything. I would say 60-40. 60% will be the beer and iced teas and ready to drink. And then the rest is wine and uh, hard alcohol. And then we have another store in Shillington, which is that's the, our first store. Opened, I would say, 10 years ago. And that is close to uh, my location now. Lots of beer. Lots of beer. Different, different uh, geography in the city makes a big difference. What we sell. <laughs> What kind of clientele do you normally see in each store? The, we'll start with the first one in the Shillington Avenue. That's a clientele that is it's a growing area and young people. And then that is the university students or uh, families. The Meadows, second one, is, uh, is on the, close to highway. And so lots of small town people, they stop by. One-stop shop almost. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, grocery around and uh, i mean 
alcohol and food, right? And uh, 8th Street is the third one opened. And that is, uh, you know, 8th Street is just close to Broadway. And uh, 8th Street and all that area, I would say mix, mix. And lots of uh, higher-end clientele, business people, and uh, restaurants they buy from us. So that makes a big difference too. So what's a big restaurant order you normally get then? I believe the keg still in Saskatoon, uh, they do purchase some stuff. There's a lots of different restaurants they do buy uh, from us. And our specialty is we can order special order, which means um, whatever they desire, we can order just for them and unique. And then they can make their menu for that. That could be a liquor, that could be wine, that could be any kind of stuff that we can order as exclusively much as we can. Exclusively. For that restaurant. That's right. And in my location, the fort, and uh, the clientele is more so uh, the 33rd and West, that area is uh, grown many, many years ago. So uh, definitely there's a younger generation, they're mid-age, and we have uh, lots of um, uh, old folks units around, and uh, they do like their wine. <laughs> seniors they, are coming seniors, in for some wine. Exactly. They do <laughs> like their wine, and more so like box wine, and they share, I think. What do you think about box wines? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> when I first, again, it's just is the my not experienced and not having box wine is bad. Box box wine, no, no nobody. Be, but there's a winemakers they do make very decent box wine, and uh, you don't think the box wine is a uh, very specialty wine, but as a convenience again, the people that have a big parties they use the box wine. The people go to uh, camping, they grab a box wine. And uh, seniors, they do buy a box wine so they don't have to go buy a bottles or carry the bottles or recycle the bottles. Or it's just like that, those are the, the ideas they think. But box wine is, I think, convenience and there's a great box wine, red, rosé, white. There's a lots of options out there. And more so than uh, five years ago. You can you can find lots of different country and regions. They do make great box wine. Well, they're catching on to the box wine trend. Then. I think so. I think so. <laughs> I what think do you think so. about quality for box wine compared to in a glass bottle? That's a broad question. It's I would say uh, I wouldn't say it's bad, but as a quality wise, it won't be as good as a some specialty little uh, winery you buy from Okanagan, for example. Because the mass produced, right? And it's uh, it's okay. Yeah. I would say. For what you're getting. What are you getting? Exactly. Yeah. What are you paying? Yeah. And uh, a bottle of wine is 750 mil. And generally, box wine is three liter to four liter changes. So again, <laughs> mass produced. Yeah. Nothing really special. You can get different kind of grape variety wine. Like you can get, I mean, Sangiovese from Italy, or you can get Merlot Cab. And those are red, and you can buy white wine. You can buy rosé from France. So there is a definitely good quality box wine, as long as you know how to look for it. Right. You don't wanna, you don't wanna open a box wine when we have a you have a, a Valentine date. Probably first of all, you will scare your date with the box wine, <laughs> and second thing, and you wanna make it a little uh, more special. I'll say. <laughs> yeah. So what are you learning in all these levels? So level one compared to level three, what are you learning? Uh, level one is a 
basics and you learn about the different variety and the different geography of the wine and what makes different wine and and elevation soil is like a almost like a history and not much of a detail and it's eight eight hours course and you learn basic about the wine and grape variety level two was is more detailed and you go more regions level three is you go to detail about the region and for example in uh what makes a really specialty wine in France and crew, ground crew and all that. You just learn more detail. And uh, level three, that was uh, not only multiple choice exam, but you do short answers. And then there is, again, depends of the, the exam. You, you need to write a short three paragraph essay about the, the, whatever the might be the question. And uh, level two is uh, four days, eight hours course. Level three, I believe, uh, total five days, eight hours course, and then final exam. That's 40 hours they're cramming in for only wine knowledge. Exactly, exactly. So what are you talking about when you, you're saying this elevation stuff? The old, old, uh, old world wines, and again, when you, in, in Europe, um, there's lots of hills, lots of mountains. The, some grape varieties, they do not do well in a, in a hot or in a dry condition. Some of them, they do love to grow in a rocky limestone and, uh, or just a really steep hillsides. Italian uh, Pinot Grigio, for example. And they do like more harsher than other grape variety. Wow. <laughs> so Pinot Grigio is pretty tough. It can take it. Exactly. It's, it can <laughs> take it. And uh, whereas uh, the Chardonnay from Sonoma Valley, again, they do grow well in Sonoma, but they're more sensitive. They don't, they don't like harsh, generally. <laughs> so then what types of wine do you prefer? Uh, depends on the occasion, but uh, I love red. I like white rosé um for red i do really like really nice um again if i'm sipping pinot noir i do like pinot noir it's easy you can do with the food without food and uh if i'm having generally i love italian wines i love that little tart and little punch not big a punch but there's lots of going on generally italian wine and more uh, drier side and earthy nice italian I'm just thinking Brunello will be, it's not everyday kind of wine because it's, it's expensive <laughs> Yeah, comparing to other wines. That would be my first choice. White, I do like Pinot Grigio. Again, nice, crisp Pinot Grigio. That would be uh, the good or buttery, really nice. Not too much of an oak, but the Chardonnay, you know, that's buttery. And those are will be my... Uh, go to for white nice summertime on the patio rosé is uh <laughs> is again depends uh, where which country or which region you get but i do like french rosé the 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 reason is uh they again they are not too uh dry depends what you get too but they're not too dry or they're not sweet at all and there's lots of uh, different pro, the taste profile, and depends how long they uh, use the skin contact to get the the color. 
on the rosé, making a rosé wine. What are you talking about with skin contact for the? Uh, when you make uh, rosé, you uh, the the color comes from the skin, and then just the regular uh, white wine. If you depends how long the skin contact, that just gives the character and the, the color of the the wine. So that's what. what oh, I so meant. they leave the skin in longer. Correct. Before rosé to get that color. Correct. Just getting that. Uh, what is the word? Pink color. Yeah. Yeah, that blush. Yeah. Rose. Blush. That, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. got gotcha. you. Yeah. So what made you get into wine? I not only wine, but I did uh, work at the industry. Um, I did. Going back a little bit, I did business economics at the UFS, and uh, economics. Biz, I like the business part, but I didn't really enjoy the the economics part. That saying, I love contacting with the people and talking and giving advice, and and uh, I changed my major after four years, and I did the uh, transfer my credits to SAS, the hotel and restaurant management, and always my dream was opening a little uh, Turkish restaurant in Saskatoon. That was the, always a dream. But uh, again, owning a restaurant is uh, fun, definitely. But it's lots of work and ownership. It's just, and I never thought that uh, I was ready. And I just wanted to work in the industry. I worked for uh, the hotel in downtown Saskatoon. And I enjoyed it. And more so getting to know the wine and what's the trend and the cocktails, what pairing with the food and appetizers and what goes in the summer and uh, what kind of cocktails or wine. And that was just make me, and I was, I said, I need to learn about more wine and spirits and, and, and champagne and, and the cocktails, what you mix. And that made me started and taking the courses and, and uh, opportunity came with co-op and I just wanted to, give it a shot and something totally different again it's industry at the people but more so you learn about wine and it's been a again while since i did um the sommelier with just a more practice like riding bicycle and and not only drinking but just the uh, tasting your palate changes and you learn a lot and and when you learn about the where they grow and uh, it makes sense when you taste it when you get that, um, I don't know, earthy taste, for example, and it makes sense that, um, oh, it's this grape from United uh, the States and it's more jammy and more... Um, so you can actually taste the terroir exactly. in it. In it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that takes time. It yeah. takes time. So that was my how I started with the um, wine and, and the liquor industry. It's always interested in me and learning more about it depth and there's a lots of level like there's a diploma of the uh psalm and one of the colleague she is uh doing her diploma and it's i don't know if you ever watch there's a documentary in netflix and uh it's studying uh your like 18 months to 20 i believe 18 months you need to study and a big course and you write a uh, essays and and you learn in and out about uh, all all about the new world or old world and uh, australian and american or so many different information yeah so much more in depth 
More depth. That 18 month. 18 months. <laughs> again, uh, diploma. It's just like studying for your law school exam, I would say. One or I don't know. It's well, just... yeah, well, it's only one subject you're learning about. That's right. So when did you decide you weren't going to open a restaurant? Uh, like finishing the restaurant? Well, because you said you want to open a Turkish restaurant. That right. was your dream. And then what right. happened? What happened is uh, um, Saskatoon, I don't exactly remember the year, but uh, the most restaurants in Capita was Saskatoon, one of them, I believe. So that was always interested me. But the lifestyle, having a family and having a Turkish restaurant, I did not believe the Saskatoon was ready for something different and still could be happen in my dream for sure. But um, just the lifestyle that I grow in a family, I have two kids and, uh, and just uh, want to spend more time with the family, grow the family. And then maybe that will be my uh, mid, I don't know, <laughs> mid 40 some adventure. Yeah. That once was, the kids are grown, exactly. you get more, more time. And I wanted to learn, more when I was working again uh, in industry, wanted to learn more about the depth because the idea opening the restaurant is a great. And uh, that was my final exam, I would say, project that I did the business plan for my dream restaurant with a couple other uh, classmates. And they were fine to do, uh, help me out with the um, Turkish restaurant idea. They were sold. So that was a uh, great, but the, at the end, the cost at the time, it's that's on the paper and uh, the business plan great, but it's more eye opener that you gotta focus and you have to spend first five years is very important. And there's a lots of restaurants as we know in Saskatoon opens for a few months or a few couple of years and then unfortunately they shut down the door because it's lots of work and you just don't wanna open the restaurant, you wouldn't be successful. So that's why my mind changed and and um, good thing I didn't open the restaurant. You saw last few years that COVID when was... <laughs> yeah, that crushed a lot of restaurant industry. Lots yeah. of industry, restaurant industry. And um, I mean, we know there's a, lots of great restaurants that could have survived, still be open, but they're not open anymore. Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's a big would, risk. It is a big risk. And I would lie if I say I saw the feature. No, that was no. But it's just a uh, very big risk. Definitely very big risk. What surprised you when you first started uh, dealing with all this liquor at co-op? Um, it was a lot. It was uh, it's, uh, when you're working in a restaurant, you only see few kinds of any kind of liquor or uh, wine. But when you open the the uh or manage the liquor store, there's a lots of different uh, liquor and just overwhelming. And just the, what is out there. And, and uh, we have about four to 5,000 uh, skews, like the lots of different kind. That's just includes everything, the beer and uh, wine and spirits. That was overwhelming to learn. And uh, uh, the regions and the countries and, what the trend, those are, took a while to learn, definitely. And I did have experience with the industry the restaurant, but I never had the merchandising experience in depth. And that was the first few months, the merchandising and what, what, what kind of uh, displays you're going to make, for example. Those are just like making art, right? When you go to grocery shopping, 
when you walk in the grocery store, you see big giant uh, Super Bowl kind of ad with the Pepsi or Coca-Cola. I'm like, how did they make first? And how much Coke did they order? How are they going to sell this? I always think about that. And the same thing goes for us. Also, now when you see it, you understand that was a lot of work involved. Lots of work and lots of uh, the planning. And uh, on because you just don't want to order whole bunch of product and then you are, you're going to sit on it because you're not going to be able to return right all that stuff there's little ta- little things but there's actually a lot well, yeah if you're ordering so much of one product and then you set up another display and then how do you balance out all those displays if they don't sell exactly that's a lot of stress that's a lots of stress and you're getting used to the numbers for example one pallet of beer generally two for beer has a 144 case of beer and uh, again, how much that product you're going to sell, you're kind of forecasting it. And while you're doing that, you want to have your product in the shelves and then you want to make a display. So how much do I order to make that display? That, that, that kind of stuff, they were overwhelming. First year, I would say more so is just uh, learning and ordering prog- process. And, and all that was, was totally new for me. So what's the ordering process? Um, again, um, we have a giant, uh, walk-in cooler and, uh, we do prioritize what sells, what people want more. And then we do pallet displays, which you order one pallet, you put the pallet in display and then we have shelf displays and we have import shelves that comes all around the world. And we have a local section, which I'm very proud the pallet orders, it's, again, more so is easier because you order your pallet, you park in there, and you sell it older, order more. But and after opening, you get used to what people, clientele, is asked, wanted to buy. So you get familiar with the, uh, with the product and then what people buying. Generally, I do try to forecast for the, what is coming up, the weekend, what is happening in the weekend what people likes to drink, beer. So what we sell the most, couple items, and we do order that little extra forecasting. Instead of ordering one pallet, order two pallets for that. So and you do it week by week? Uh, we do week by week, and uh, actually two beer orders a week, and two hard alcohol, which is SLJ, goes. So we get twice a week each. So you put in four orders each week? Each week. And you have to try to forecast and keep up with it? Yes, and depends how, again, first year is very hard because you don't know your clientele. And then you get used to it and uh, you know what you sell the most and we have promotions and we have flyers, great, great items that get those goes uh, on sale. So it's a clientele, what they will buy and you're forecasting and you buy for the volume for that. What's the biggest mistake you made in the first year? Oof. Um, where should we start? <laughs> as uh, as I said, doing a um, for example SLJ Saskatchewan liquor board order, and we have one certain wine is on sale, and I'm ordering three cases, and or making the order, and sometimes typing, and uh, you make a mistake 
once I ordered instead of three, 30 cases. And uh, you do order, you got to double check what you ordered before you submitting because there's no comeback. That order will be coming. That was the one of the mistake. And um, that was a long weekend was coming. When long weekends coming, the day, for example, if we, if the Canada day goes uh, the, in a weekday, Monday, for example, and you cannot get your order. The order days, delivery days changes. So you got to forecast. And I don't know who to blame by myself. <laughs> myself. I missed uh, understand order date. So I did my order late, which if you don't have product, you won't be, you won't be selling any items. You got nothing so there. You have nothing there. A good thing that I realized next day that I submit my order um, after the deadline. So very, very thankful, very uh, happy that I reach out and the person, the account manager, who that might be, and I, I was freaking out. I'm just like, we're not going to have a product. We're going to run out stuff. And the contact, and I said, this is what happened. What are the chances that we can just do a magic and get the order? <laughs> and is the person that, you know what, just give me, a, I will get back to you. And I cannot promise because it's busiest time, especially summertime. It was uh, three hours, painful hours, back to it. And the person said, you know what, you're lucky they, the order is, is not crazy big so we will manage to send it that what'd you do for I those three hours i could not believe i'm just like, like <laughs> waiting and walk around the store and how can i do and what what like what can i do because you did all you could i could exactly <laughs> just waiting time like <laughs> just waiting and waiting stress but it worked out at the end. That would be one of the big mistakes, I would say. Yeah. and But you've pursued it further to solve your problem, though. I did. I did. Um, you got to try. If you don't try, you wouldn't be getting a yes or no answer, right? So I did my best to be asked if what are the chances that I can do. And Where did you learn out. that from? Life experience, I think, I would say. And uh, just nobody will read your mind or nobody will know what's happening. And if you don't speak up. So... Uh, not only speak up, but just to talk. So always, if any kind of problems or any kind of uh, down things, then you got to reach out to person that or situation. Try. Try your best to be make it uh, possible, I would say. Oh, by communicating with them. Communication, he said. They it. don't know. They're not checking your order if nope. you put it in on time. No, they don't. And then uh, they could assume that, oh, yeah, they did that early order. They got their order already, but they again they don't know what kind of mistake you did. So communication and uh, that mistake taught me every time since then. When I before I send my order, I always check quantity and the date. <laughs> yes, and literally every time <laughs> you gotta. Yeah. yeah. So when you get extra, what do you have to do with it? Again, uh, depends how ex how much extra. And I had a, I have a, a coworker that uh, instead of ordering 12 cases, he ordered 120 cases, which is, that's a pallet. That was a total of over uh, $15,000 worth of product. 
and the product came in and I'm like, uh, person wasn't in the location and I'm, I can't be right. And, uh, unfortunately, yes, we will be selling that product throughout the year, but that's the inventory that you want to hold. You don't want to hold on. First of all, you pay interest on the, what you hold in as an inventory and, uh, it just takes a space too, and it could be spillage. So you don't want to have that much product. At the end, you communicate, con contact with the uh, whatever you ordered. Just find a way to resend it. That there there might be some charges, restocking fee, or um, delivery fee. You gotta you have to manage to the pay them. But if you the longer you hold on, that interest is getting accrued. Exactly. So you guys don't pay up front. It's all on credit. No, that we pay up front, but again, the, um, whatever you order, you don't sell at that moment, right? You're just forecasting. So it's just uh, in the in the big picture, you don't want to carry a lot of products that you haven't sell yet. You order what you're going to sell. You can order one or two cases extra, but you don't want to order 120 more cases. Oh, you want to be constantly getting it depleted and then refreshing it. Turn. Turnover. Yes, turnover. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What's the best selling product in your location? Like a one individual item? Yeah. Um, definitely new trend items, the best product. Now as uh, Ice Tea is the, the one of them I would say crush it. I don't know if you heard about it or not, but uh, uh, one of the brewery they do crush it, it called Ice Tea. Provincial uh, distillery they do make that's lots of people they buy. I don't know you uh, familiar back, I don't know, two, three years ago, White Cloth. I would say the crush that would be now one of the biggest. Like last few months, I would say since last summer, that's the hot item that everybody asks. And it's called Crush It? Crush It. <laughs> <laughs> What's a staple one you know guaranteed to sell? Light beer. That might be anything local like um, Great Western Light. Or Bud Light, people like they they have particular uh, product they always buy. I would say Bud Budweiser, uh, Cruz Light, those are always sales, no matter what. There's <laughs> a client for that. So those are low risk products to have on the shelf. Correct. What's a high risk product to have? Um, expensive um, champagne, I would say. Again, there's a lots of different champagnes, but again, that would be high risk. And, or tequila is on trend right now. I don't know. You heard about uh, Don Julio or um, Cluster Azul. Those are items that are pretty pricey. And uh, yes, you don't want to leave your shelves empty, but you don't want to over long buy because it's uh, pretty expensive, about $250 a bottle. So one bottle. You don't want to uh, You don't want to buy you don't want to stock many of them. Yeah. If it doesn't move, what do you have to do? You can always uh, talk to your team to talk about the product to be uh, upsell. If somebody asking about, there's a lot of always every day, some people they're asking something different. And I always say, if you have this kind of tequila and we have many of them, talk about it if somebody asks. Oh, educate them on educate that, the, that. Educate your team to uh, upselling or give an education uh, idea about the, why that product is 
pricey and it might be the product that nobody else has, but we do carry. So it's just like there's a, lots of different ways to be able to sell it, hopefully. And again, in the big picture, don't overstock, I would say. Yeah. And you said that word long buying. And long buying is a, um, you know, that brand new item came to the market and you know that you, you're thinking that it's going to sell and you, instead of buying a, whatever fits in the shelf or whatever the palette is going to fit, you buy two pallets and that you know that it's going to sell. You hope it's going to sell. You hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Generally works well because people love new innovations. People now love new products and uh, generally works. But again, it's definitely underneath. There's a little bit of risk. You got to take it sometimes. <laughs> How do you manage the stress of that all? First of all, almost no mistakes re reversible. First of all, you got to learn from your mis mistakes. And at the end, if you order so much, there's a way to deal with it. First of all, you got to try to send it back. And the, the, the underneath the stress that communicate why that happened. Take back, think about it, and just take a moment, I would say. Take a few moments that it's not end of the world and mistakes happens. I do love just moving myself this situation and go for a walk or then take another task, whatever. And just I usually have daily tasks that what I need to do. And if that item that makes me stress or takes longer time than I know that it shouldn't take that long, just put it aside and come back to it. Take a little break from it, do something else. Absolutely. Take your mind off of it. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's always talking with someone helps too. It's just uh, like, again, depends on the situation, but you can always talk to your assistant or the person, what makes you stress. And, and sometimes people have different ideas and you could just, sometimes you don't think that way. Oh, so you keep it open with your team then. Exactly. How you're feeling, how exactly. they're feeling. Depends on the situation too. But that's a safe environment then. If you're all supporting each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's important. And we do, uh, as a workplace, you spend a lot of time with your colleagues. So that's very important to have a healthy, happy uh, environment and team. Yeah. With these 5,000 SKUs you're talking about? About, yes. About, so what do you do to keep that all in order? Uh, we have uh, lots of, uh, we have uh, weekly meetings for, uh, product knowledge and product uh, what's we come in and that's one way to do and second thing it takes a while to learn what you have all stores like not all like in all your inventory and uh, I was responsible I'm still responsible for my inventory and getting to know every each each product that you have in the store generally doing orders that helps too and uh there's a different ways to do your order. You look, you you can make a file going through what you have and go through the items to place for order. Or generally, I love to see what we have in the store to place order. I walk around every, when I come to work every day, I do walk around the store and check the the shelves and bunk ends and, and um, all the store that, First of all, how the store look. And the second thing, how the products are um, lined. It's just ongoing 
getting familiar with the product. And I look at those it. little details. Little the details. And my, uh, my ordering process, I always walk every individual shelves area and then see every individual item. <laughs> and again, I cannot tell more de- like a, a special detail every individual item, but I have some ideas. Yeah, and you get exposure to it every day. You're walking around the exactly. store. What's a bunk end? Bunk end is when <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I sometimes I assume people know what I. But <laughs> bunk ends when you come into the first store and uh, just the products there just stand up. Uh, it's shelving that you display your products. That's the bunk end. Oh, at the end of the aisle? And the, at the end of the aisle, or when you come in the store, there's a four-way displays, like um, the shelving, but the four-level of shelving, you put your product, yeah, whatever you decided to. So those are what we call bunk ends. I gotcha. Yeah. With those bunk ends then, how do you manage the space around it? Manage the space, you mean like walkways? Yeah. That's over, that, the, again, that's... Um, architect team they build the store but after they build we do um set up the store for a displays so that's what that's what i mean when you're setting up those extra displays how are you managing that space to know how much room for people to move around um generally we uh you want to have a space that two uh one person could uh like two-way um think about two-way two-way highway Oh, one person to... can come, one person can go, and there is no, there's a sp- sp- still space between, and you don't want to be too crowded, and the displays shouldn't be too high. Putting the pallets on the floor, for example, depends on your size, but generally you don't want to put too many products in one spot. Yeah, because you always want to have it so that at least two people side by side can That's be right. in that area. That's right. What's a small detail that you know makes a big difference? All the dis- all the displays, bunk ends. When you put the products, uh, one of the thing is all the uh, labels should be facing to the customer when you look. And uh, old English sides up because some products has French and English. Tidy, nice, everything. For example, think about the Bailey's bottle for the front facing, and you don't want to. The labels are different facing, so just the. Huh, you want everything lined up. Lined up. And uh, similar products in similar areas. You don't want to put the, for example, cream, cream liquor with, uh, with wine. They don't go hand in hand. You put it in a logical order. Logical order, correct. <laughs> when did you learn to do that? First uh, store opened at the Meadows Market. That was the definitely that first year. That was 2018. Opened that store and then worked in that store for four years. An opportunity came up to uh, open the, the Westview location on the 33rd and open that one. And uh, just uh, helping each other and learning a lot. Every day, learning again. And I do learn every day something new. And specifically, if you ask me, managing to reps, they, they, they do come and they wanted to sell their product. But you cannot say yes to everybody. When did you pick up not to say yes to every rep? That was a maybe a too specific, uh, <laughs> too specific uh, example. That's too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> From the first opening, what all goes into that? First, first of all, definitely 
the ordering process that you want to fill the shelves and you want to make sure that everything uh, line up great, clean and sharp looking, having a strong, good, solid, healthy, happy team, building that team. I think that's one of the hard and important thing in, in the workplace. That was the challenging. Getting used to a different industry and liquor business is um, different than the hospitality. I would say there's a part of it, hospitality, but generally you are responsible for great displays, great looking stores and uh, product knowledge because people come uh, ask about cooking wine, for example. And just uh, knowing and directing them and educating your team while educate yourself. You just, you grow together and give as much as uh, knowledge to your customers. When a customer comes in, ask about the product, not good service was, I don't really know what that product is. Where is it? You can always direct them because as a customer service, that's your uh That's your top priority. Priority. For, you have knowledge of where things are in the store. Exactly. <laughs> and or give some ideas you don't have to be some but you definitely give some ideas but do not make things up always if you don't know the answer ask help with someone because nothing bad uh, worse than giving some person that ask cooking wine but you give them a nice bottle of wine you can cook with a nice bottle of wine but they're specifically asking cooking wine, Marcella wine. And then, oh, yeah, they don't, if you don't know the answer or you don't know the product, always ask other team member or someone to help or direct them. Ah, so be as knowledgeable as you can, but also be as honest as possible. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so what do you look for in a good cooking wine? Depends what you're cooking, again. And if you're cooking a chicken with the cream sauce, generally people ask about uh, the Marcella wine. And just fortified wine, it just gives it more thickness and flavorful on the on the sauce. That would be the lots of people buy, especially around Thanksgiving, I would say, or uh, uh, Christmas time. And uh, brandy, we do sell a lot of brandy on uh, the Christmas season. Yeah. The people they make fruit cakes or any kind of baking. And the fortified wine would be good with the cream sauce because it can withstand that dominance of the cream. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, again, um, if you're making pasta sauce or uh, the bolognese, you can use almost any kind of wine, but I would suggest a dry. And you don't want to spend, again, you don't want to use the wine that you're not going to drink. Always spend a little bit extra to buy something decent that you can cook and you can enjoy your wine. And meat and, again, wine goes hand in hand. And there's after you're cooking, after simmering, there's no alcohol left anyway. But the flavor of the the nice bold wine is always sticks in with the uh, meat sauce. Yeah, it really complements that dish. Exactly. Mm. Well, what did you learn from opening the first store that you took to opening the second store? Time management. That's the very, very, very um, <clears throat> important that I learned a lot of that. And um, making notes, tasks, priorities, and the list going through. One of the greatest feeling is going through the list, put in check mark what you did. Everybody forgets, and you think that you're gonna remember, but generally, 
one or two you forget. Another thing, you have always deadlines. The project or whatever task that I need to finish, uh, February 26th, I always give in my notes or in my calendar, I give one or two days extra. I put that deadline as a February 24th. So not because of live in the last minute, but things happen. So you don't want to, I don't want to miss the deadline. So I give myself a little bit of window <laughs> and nothing wrong with this submitting or doing things that earlier. Yeah, being okay. late is bad, but being early, never bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends on the situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You leave yourself that little buffer. Buffer. Yeah. <laughs> when did you realize time management was the top? Still learning, but I would say after after a year, because uh, it was a different than hospitality, different hotel and restaurant uh, business. The The first year, again, you get to know your team, you get to know your product, you get to know your client, and then more so you're growing in the company, you're growing in your role, and more stuff comes to you. You think that you've done one task and more things coming. Talking with the staff and checking on them or ordering products, the new spring season items coming, and and you look back, it's just, I don't have enough time to do all. But actually, if you do the time management, give yourself certain tasks certain amount of time and if you don't complete or if you go frustrated still you have that task to finish but move on for something else and come back to it give it a specific amount of time go go do something else then you come back fresher exactly and that would be less stress and i think motivate yourself more and just distract you for the because sometimes remember from the school writing a paper if you just sit on the ta table or whatever on the computer, try to write one paper in one shot, there, that's, I don't think that's never a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Just distract just yourself and have a thought. Go for a walk. Whatever that makes you happy. Yeah. Same thing with the time management. Give yourself that, okay, I, I'm going to finish this ordering in half an hour. That's an example. And if you don't finish and it takes longer than you think, take a note that you haven't finished it, but don't stress on it oh yeah don't let that one task leak into the other tasks exactly. that you still haven't done yet exactly and don't leave things the last minute either that's a, another time minute management and the reason again as we talk uh before you don't know what will could happen there's more stuff could pile up you might get sick yeah there's a lots of things so leave yourself a bigger margin of error margin. exactly <laughs> What's the most enjoyable aspect of your job? There's a lot. I'm just thinking. Um, there's lots. I do love daily. Every day is different in my particular job. It's you uh, connect with the people. And I, the most, um, just be proud of the, what, uh, what, the, what a great selection I have. And sporting a local businesses, I would say that's one of the really look forward to. Um, we have a we have a great great local beer doors, and I'm proud to have that. Great great distilleries, great uh, breweries, beer. So I think one of them that is uh, top of my mind comes. That's really proud and enjoyable doing the orders and contacting connecting with them. And I think 
come to my mind is one of the enjoyable things right now. Oh, those but, relationships with the people in the community. Community, yes, exactly. Um, we did, just before Christmas, we did a collab beer with Nine Mile. And our Psalm team and myself, uh, we chose the barley and and we we basically made the beer with the Nine Mile team. And uh, they... Um, even like not only make, making the beer, but we were hands-on on the bottling and and labeling and putting the boxes. So uh, we made the Colop Nine Mile Belgian triple uh, Belgian style beer. Comes with the 500 milliliter and uh, aged it in um, Bourbon Owl Capsav barrels for. Uh, we wanted to longer, but we did a little bit more than one month. Gives the 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 color characteristic is great sipping beer we made and we did made it with someone local i'm proud of the <laughs> the the collab with them so that is one of the favorite thing one of the favorite thing and enjoyable thing that we did lately what are the steps involved in making beer ah uh, um <laughs> that you remember oh uh, yeah it's uh <laughs> it's it's amazing that everything local the 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 product came from locally i believe 40 minutes out of town someone that uh, nine mile team knows and uh add the the, the put the water distilled water uh, in the tanks and then mix with the the barley and then adding the 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 flour i, I don't know why it's stuck in there Is uh, it hops? Hops, hops yes choosing the hops by our team adding that and then uh just ferment it and afterwards, we put that beer in the Brunel casks, I believe 250 liter, uh, the cask, and then just uh, aging that. And after that, again, those are old brewers. They know what's good beer and then tasting. And just a few steps into it, for sure. But uh, mainly did it with all, as all together with the co-op, Psalm team, and Nine Mile team. Yeah. What's the bottling process? Uh, again, it's it's absolutely make you more appreciate every sip you have because uh, they order the specific little looks like a little champagne bottles, five hundred milliliter. You you take the old bottles, you disinf- dis- disinfect it, wash them, and uh, put it in a line. And there's a little spots that you fill. You don't fill all the way up. And uh, you fill the bottle, and then there's a, there's a five or six different lines that the process happens. And then after filling the bottle, you put the cap and put the cap, and then rinse it and box it. So we did. I, if I'm not wrong, we did over uh, three thousand bottles. You doing this by hand? By hand, and because those are specific kind of bottles. We did a lot of help in, in, in the Nine Mile team too. So everything was literally handmade and bottled and labeled on top of the, the bottling and putting a cap and then putting the label. That's so personal. That is very personal. And uh, we did the little launch, uh, launching that uh, triple uh, Belgian style beer in, in December. And that was a good hit. And lots of people, they bought for little Christmas presents and is it still on the shelves right now? They they are. 
Okay, this is Belgian? Triple Belgian style uh, beer. And it's about 10.5% alcohol. Again, it's a great, great sipping beer. Yeah. And uh, really nice characters in bottle. And the label is amazing. So I would, I would say if you like beer, you should try. Yeah, I got to check that out. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> There's, uh, all those beers are in, uh, in our all four locations. Yeah. yeah. What's one aspect of your job you'd want to change? I don't think at the moment I would say anything to change. I would I would say uh, learning more in and out. Again, that might be um, more product knowledge. I would last few years for opening the stores and managing. Again, we do tasting, but I am not as on hand as much as it used to be. I would say uh, I would like to, there's not enough time a day to try taste all all the products nothing to change i would say learning more i'm pretty pumped really uh really happy what i'm doing right now as a team as a the work wise lots of lots of new innovations coming and uh, what's a new innovation you're excited about non-alcoholics i would say uh non-alcoholic products it's comparing uh, even like it wasn't that long ago two three years ago you used people used to we again in my old our old store when people ask non-alcoholic you have Budweiser Zero you have Heineken <laughs> and now you can buy almost anything non-alcoholic that includes non-alcoholic rum non-alcoholic gin white red wine and and uh, any kind of spirits and uh, seltzers it's name it and I'm very another thing. Now you ask me uh, what is proud of or what I love, uh, non-alcoholic section that I have expanding even more. It's I'm very really proud taste profile and the quality and Guinness, for example. I don't know if you heard. I Just, did. Yeah, one of my guests came on. He was saying the non-alcoholic Guinness is probably the closest you're gonna get. I would say you can't if you're a Guinness lover, and I bet you. <laughs> first couple sip you would not cold great Guinness the both put it in a glass and give the non-alcoholic Guinness the we'll be have a hard time to, to <laughs> say that was not alcoholic one it's just it's amazing how they made it is uh, amazing absolutely uh, <laughs> that's very great hit right now and non-alcoholic sells is Olay it's a Canadian made from BC I believe and uh, the same, the same profile, everything, but it's not non-alcoholic beverage, and uh, that's very, very good hit. Um, just locally, uh, GW uh, family, they just did uh, non-alcoholic um, origin sixteen zero, came up, and that's a great hit. Again, I'm very proud of the new innovation for non-alcoholic. It just gives safe drinking habits, I would say. And if you like the taste, but you just want to drink something, that's a great way to just have a couple pints or whatever that might be, and then go back to just uh, drinking non-alcoholic. I think that's a great innovation and lots of people happy about it. Yeah, it's a good way to enjoy yourself and not exactly. destroy yourself. No. Yeah. So every product you're seeing now has a non-alcoholic counterpart. Almost. Almost, I would <laughs> say. Again, uh, it's... Uh, 
when I say non-alcoholic gin, definitely they do this this de-alkalize the. I don't know exactly pro- process, but de-alkalize the, the product. It's the same profile that botanical, for example, that the gin might have, and the same thing has non-alcoholic gin. And you make your cocktail. <laughs> At the end, there's no alcohol in it, and you can drive safely or. Remember things at night that you <laughs> hang out with your friends. <laughs> yeah. Wake up feeling refreshed. Refreshed and not regret <laughs> the headache. Or, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. And I'm very proud and it's amazing. It, it Even two years ago, wasn't that big. Unfortunately, we are a little behind. We are far away and we are not as big of a big city as the east or west. And the, the, Things come slowly here. That Those products or not alcoholics could be already exist five years ago, the bigger cities or states, but slowly it's coming, coming here for sure. Ooh, yeah. yeah. What's something upcoming you're looking forward to? Ciders, I, w- I, was, I would say it's uh, coming up and lower alcohol beverages. Um, instead of having a, either cider or seltzers, instead of five or 6% alcohol, it's coming 2%, 2.1% that, again, you can still enjoy, but lower alcohol. Those are, I think, exciting. And then flavorful, new new fruit-forward items that it's uh, coming in spring. So that growing trend of lower alcohol, but still the full flavor. Exactly, exactly. And less calories when you have a lower alcohol. There's a lot less calories. And people, people more uh, want to live healthier. And longer. Longer. <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well over here is there anything i haven't asked you i don't think so i don't think so <laughs> all right but we'll close it out then absolutely thank you oh no problem